Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. This is Bill Koch, sports writer for the Journal, from my Warwick home on a Friday morning. I'm joined, as always, by my co-conspirator, the sports director at ABC6, the weekend co-host of Cordishi and Coit on WEI Providence. Nick Coit, ladies and gentlemen. Coity, how we living? It's February. It's February. We've got one month to go here, PK. This is the good stuff. Second half of the conference schedule. And yeah, March is right around the corner. Can't wait. Well said. Uh, you know, we are approaching the business end uh, of the college basketball season. Um, you know, it is it is feeling urgent at this point. Uh, the games feel like they matter more. They're certainly more intense. Uh, some of the environments we've been in you know, over the last week have been interesting, to say the least. Um you know, and it's it's starting to get real now for teams who are either trying to build an NCAA resume or get into their respective races in their conferences. Um, you know, some teams who, who are trying to reach a postseason or, or clinch a postseason home game or two, uh, you could start to see that come into focus here as we get into February. And, you know, now we can build up some of these matchups here. We can figure out who the contenders are and you know, when our local teams might be playing them. Um, and that that projection, I think, is part of the fun, isn't it? It is. And and it's one of those things that there's certain times of the year where I force myself to hold off until in terms of, like, looking at projections and looking where teams are. And, like, as, as a baseball fan, I don't look at the standings until mid-July. Yeah. It's no point in at the end of May saying, you know, well, the Red Sox are in last place. And so who cares? In mid-May, there's still months to go here. Mid-July, are you in the race? Are you in the wild card? Do you need to make trades? And then you really start seriously, you know, focusing on it in August. Now, I probably won't look at the standings at all this season uh, based on the offseason that the Boston Red Sox have had. Oh, look, they brought Theo back. Yay! I'm not fooled. Nope. Bring, can Theo pitch? Because if he can't, then sorry, I'm not paying attention. All right, that's all I'm going to say about the Red Sox. Um, <clears throat> and with, with college basketball, <laughs> with college basketball, you know, looking at bracketology and bracket projections, I, I don't start doing that probably until I might glance just to see what the tournament sites are because <laughs> I like to do that. Yeah. But February is when I start looking at it and saying, all right, where are they at? What do they need to do? What's left on the schedule? Where can they go from here? In particular, with a team like the Friars, you look at it and you say, okay, they are here right now. What can they do? And what's the work left to be done? So that is the fun part of it is seeing where a program's at. And and currently with the Friars, it's nice to see them in that conversation with the month of January that they had because it was not easy. But being in the conversation where they're at right now with Lenardi's bracket, I believe they're uh, a last four by. That's a credit to Kim and his staff for keeping this thing, you know, on the rails and smooth. The irony of this coming from me, but you're so negative, Coit. Uh, I mean, really? <laughs> I've said all I want to say about the Boston Red Sox. <laughs> yeah, let, let's not get into that anymore. This is, uh -huh. as, as I as I like to say, that's a whole different podcast. Uh, mm. you know. That's a whole different Nick, as you as you've 
I come do. to find out. We'll we'll be having that one uh, Saturday night at McBride's for anybody who wants to come by after the Brown game. Uh, I'll be hosting a, a Red Sox airing of grievances for for anyone who wants to buy me a harp. That'd be great. Um, I'll be I'll be there. Yeah, Coit, uh, you mentioned the Friars, and and that's where we'll start. And you know, obviously, we flash back to last Saturday uh, and the return of Ed Cooley. Um, you know, a game that. Wasn't going to go anywhere in terms of determining Big East superiority or, or postseason or, or anything else. Uh, this was a sideshow, really. Um, you know, a, it, it was more than a basketball game. It was, uh, you know, it was a psychological experiment. It was a sociological experiment. Um, you know, it was hyped nationally. Uh, and what we wound up with was a pretty competitive 40 minutes on the floor, which which was a nice benefit. Um you know, Providence 8476. Uh the atmosphere, pretty much what you would have expected. Uh Ed Cooley was um subjected to the personal, the profane, um, you know, just about anything the PC student section could throw at him. Um not literally, thankfully. The the crowd yep. did behave themselves in that way. Um yep. they allowed the game to go on, which which you know was Bit of a worry for some going in that, that something would happen. Thankfully, nothing did um, beyond a little verbal abuse. Um, but I would say, quite it, it was, you know, I was asked by people the next day and, and for the better part of this week, really, what was it like on Saturday? And, and I said, I've seen the dunk, the amp now. I've seen it louder. I've probably seen it more energized at, at certain points. I don't know if I've ever seen it angrier than it was yeah. for that game. Um, you know, you could sense it from Providence fans the night before, the morning of. It was visceral. It is personal for them. It's just business for Ed and the players, but good luck trying to convince anyone sitting in the seats that, that it's just business. Um, it was one of the more unique atmospheres that, that I've experienced in my career. Yeah, perfect way to say it. Unique. You, you just won't... Um... You can't write a story like that if you tried. You know, that was the unique part of it. I mean, we're talking about it's not it was personal. It was personal and it got personal. Um, but I, I do give the fans and, and the, the students in particular credit for not going. Yeah, right. They towed the line, towed the line, but they didn't go too far. Nothing was that, like the game went on, as you said, and that was that was good. Um, you know, but it, you can't write a story like that. Like the, the mixture of the fact that it's the first coach in Big East history to go from one school to another, the fact that it is the guy that as, as we've talked about and everybody knows this was Providence colleges, Lou Carnesecca. This was Providence colleges. You know, he, he grew up in the, in the city, came out of South Providence, Going to lead the program to more glory, like all of that. I mean, the the guy was being talked about. He was going to be, you know, fill that spot on the bench with the two statues outside of the the practice facility. All that, and he leaves for Georgetown, right. and the fans are hurt. They felt that they felt it to be personal. They voiced that. Um, I mean, it, you just you won't write a story, and and even when he comes back in the future, they'll boo him. It'll happen. All that, but it won't be like this. This was the, this was their first opportunity, the fan base, to really voice their opinion on it, 
since he was gone. So they'll con- that'll continue that anger, but it won't be as pronounced. I think in the in the future, this was the boiling point, and you know, again, I, I don't think anything. You know, nothing bad happened, which is good. And you know, we were able to have a basketball game and a pretty competitive one. And I think that was the probably the best part is the fact that it was a competitive game because if it did end up being a blowout, say it was Friars by 25, then you're not focused on the game. Then the nerves aren't in the building. Then maybe after a couple hours of doing that, something, you know, dumb does happen. And I'm glad it didn't. So the competitive game part, I actually think was probably the best thing for everybody involved. Uh, and then the fact that the Friars won, they, they pulled it out. There were some nerves. That was the only time there was nervous energy in the building there, you know, toward the end of the second half. But, um, you know, Devin Carter showed where these two programs are at in terms of, you know, the talent, the connect- connectivity. Um, and it's a guy that, you know, Ed Cooley brought into the program himself that, that gets it done. And Devin continues to, I mean, he's got to be, you know, I, I don't know who else would what would be in the conversation, but it is February. I mean, if it's Biggie's player of the year and they're picking it right now, I it it'd be it, you have a, a strong, strong case that Devin Carter could earn the honor. He could. Um, you know, in that game he had eleven points in the last one fifty three to, to help Providence pull it out. He's the best player on the floor. Um, you know, he thanked Ed Cooley after the game for recruiting him out of South Carolina out of the transfer portal. He he said that, you know, without Cooley, he's probably not in Friartown. Um, you know, that was his quote. Uh, you know, Cooley, Cooley made some headlines with some quotes of his own, Coit, in the postgame. And, uh, bonus checks in the mail. Bonus check. Uh, I They should send me a bonus check for the energy that was in here today. Um, you know, a lot of folks here wouldn't have the courage to make such a life change. That was the word he used, courage. Um the first one, if the bonus check thing was tongue in cheek, if it was a joke, not the time and place for it, Ed. Didn't land. Read the room. Didn't land. Um, whether or not we have the courage to make professional personal changes, that sounded a lot to me like a guy who was trying to convince himself and who was playing to his new home at Georgetown. Because quite clearly, he left something currently better for something that he hopes and they hope will be better at some point. Right now, it's not. Um, you know, you go to Capital One and you see the fraction of fans there, and the fact that Georgetown is eight and twelve and one and eight in the league and stuck at the bottom, and you know they lose a, a game like that that's played like that. They don't have the Devin Carter to drag them over the line. Instead, it's Jaden Epps who has twenty six points, but he takes twenty seven shots to get there. Um, you know, you've you've recruited, you've maintained, you've developed a superior enterprise at Providence, and you've left it. Um, and I think a lot of the speculation around that game, and and a lot of the anger from fans is you ask the question, why, why did he do this? Why did he decide to leave us? Everyone knows a guy who knows a guy who has a theory as to why. Um, my emails were full of those in the week leading up to it. I'm sure your, your, yours might've been too. Same. same. Um, you know, and, and what I learned from those is, is there is a section of Providence fans 
who won't be happy until Ed Cooley is professionally and personally destroyed, that they'll never forgive him, that it doesn't matter what happens here the next 10, 20 years, uh, they'll always carry some sort of bitterness for him. I'm not going to tell them not to feel that way. That's not my place. What I will tell you is that he's not going to care if you want to kill him, um, you know, kill him in, in the, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you public mean. relations you mean. sense. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. not going to care how you feel about him leaving or about his family or about his personal situation or, or whatever else. He's going to laugh all the way to the bank, as they say, and just coach his team at Georgetown and try to beat yours in the future. Um, you know, so what you need to square with this, what you need to eventually arrive at is that beating Georgetown on the court is all you're going to get out of this. Yeah. That's the only satisfaction you're ever going to have. And if you can beat them two, even three times a year, thank you very much. You can go to Ed and say, hey, Ed, you're 0-20 against us at some point eight, eight, nine, ten 10 years from now. That's your best revenge and probably the only slice that you're going to get. Well, and that's that's the, going to be the interesting thing. This this conversation is going to be interesting five years down the road, ten years down the road, where we're at, what the trajectory is of the programs, uh, where they land, because you know the 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 quote that stood out to me in the post game press conference, which is something that I think I don't know if Ed was selling you know to himself, but also you know publicly was a reason maybe he was he was selling for leaving was that, well, you know, the resources of Georgetown and what, and he, maybe he felt like he maxed out at Providence. I heard that one. Kevin Mack wrote a great piece last week leading up to it, and that was the theory that was in there. In the post-game press conference, he says, I hope we meet four times a year, twice during the regular season, and then one for a Big East championship and one for a national championship. And immediately my brain went to, so you think Providence is going to be playing for a national championship? So then you thought you couldn't get to that point here? Question mark? Like, well, okay. That sort of contradicts that theory a little bit, right? And I, I was trying to voice this on the podcast last week when I brought up the main hockey example. Yeah. And, and I don't think I totally landed it. Where I was trying to land, Bill, was that in, in you can have a great brand that has success in any era, but it, it does it doesn't matter where you're at if you have the support, if you have the right people, if you have whatever, you can build a brand anywhere. Sure. Which is why I, I think some some people being stuck on the brand of Georgetown is like, well, Ed Cooley built the brand of Providence and was having success because of all the resources and whatever, and nationally, people are looking at it now and saying, look at Providence, look at this guy that's leading Providence, look at the support that he's getting from the administration and what they've built there and all that. Like, doesn't matter. O old brand stuff is, you have to have the investment and the right people at the right time, and it doesn't matter where you're at. And, and so that's where I was trying to land that, because you can't just, you can't just, sit on your brand and say, well, we're Georgetown. So, well, yeah, of course, you were Georgetown when you won the national championship in, what, 1985. Like, cool, awesome. Providence has been humming right now. And somebody on social media this week asked a very interesting question. If you're a four-star recruit right now, right now, 
and you're looking at the two programs, Georgetown and Providence, where do you want to go? Where do you want to commit? Who do you want to play for right mm. now? Not an easy... I, I would answer Providence because of the health of the program, where they're at, the fan base, all that. But NIL is obviously something to consider there. If you're an incoming recruit, Georgetown does have that. But, you know, it's it was an interesting question. It was a very interesting question. And, and it's... If this was 1985, you know what the answer is. Yeah. But it's not 1985. It's 2024. And Providence has a lot to sell there. A lot. So, and for the right reasons. They do. They they also still have a long way to go. And, and I think, yeah. you know, Ed's experience losing to North Carolina in the NCAA tournament, losing to Kentucky in the NCAA tournament, being competitive, competitive with, more so, but losing to Kansas in the NCAA tournament. Um, and then watching a program in his own league change coaches and rise again, like UConn, which we saw Wednesday night. Providence went down to stores, lost 74-65 at Campbell Pavilion. Uh, UConn, the defending national champions who have a two-game lead in the Big East. Uh, UConn started off behind Providence when they were back in the Big East. Um, you know, Dan Hurley was only a couple of years in. He has since caught and surpassed Providence in, in quick time. Um, you know, and that game was was a reminder. Uh UConn had the better players. It was ugly. It was foul filled. You you wish it had been a different 40 minutes. There was some compelling basketball in there, but otherwise it, it was a lot of whistles. Generally though, Coit, my takeaway is I was in stores for that one. Um, mm -hmm. UConn fans weren't the least bit concerned about Providence at all. No, They're the number one team in the nation. That's just another night. It's just going to be another Big East win. Um, there was buzz around the game. It was a sellout, definitely. But I tweeted this before the game, and I got some pushback from Providence fans, and I, I want to address this. Last year, when Providence played in stores, They'd already won a home game against UConn. They were 20-7 and seven and three games ahead of UConn in the Big East standings. UConn fans were nervous that they were going to get swept. You, you could feel it. You sensed it talking to their media members. Uh, you got the sense talking to their staff before the game. There was none of that the other night. UConn looks at themselves right now. UConn fans look at them right now thinking, knowing they are better than Providence at this point. Um, mm -hmm. And it only took a year. Wasn't you know? Wasn't that long ago that they were legitimately nervous playing the Friars at home, and the other night they weren't. And and even even though Providence hung around in the second half and played really tough and played through foul trouble and doesn't have Bryce Hopkins, um, I think the prevailing feeling in that building was there was only going to be one result, and it was what it was. I mean, the unfortunate part was the foul fest that it turned into. Um, yeah, it was. It was. Because Spoiled the game. It did. Yeah. It did. Um, because I do think you were getting great efforts. Uh Josh Aduro, I think that was one of his best games in a Friars uniform. Um, you know, despite the foul trouble that he had. Yeah. Um, you know, the fact that he is hanging with a guy, you know, at points like Klingon, um, and holding his own there, he's got great footwork as a big man. He really does. People keep pointing that out, but it's so true. Um, he's just He's just solid. He's just really solid as a big. Um, you know, Devin Carter said as much after the Georgetown game. He's like, he's the best 
you know, big man I think I've ever played with. And yeah, you know, you see it from Josh and he's, and he's continued to sort of settle into the big East and that's, that's a big development for Providence. Um, you know, I thought Jaden Pierre is, he continues to make some strides there. Um, you know, particularly I think defensively he's coming along, which is huge. Um, so it's, as Kim keeps saying, it's, it's a work in progress. Um, and so for the Friars, if, if that, that work in progress continues to progress, um, you know, by the time you reach March, you know, what's it going to look like? What can you do? Um, so, you know, it's a shame that it turned into a foul fest. Cause I think you were getting great efforts from, from some guys there. Um, but I, I'm sure UConn looked at it the way they did and said, like, I think they're saying that about everything now. Uh, and, and a lot of games because they are where they're at as a program talent wise. And Danny is a heck of a program billet builder. We know it. We've seen it. And now we're seeing it at the highest level. You know, <laughs> he took the Yukon job. He's, he's, uh, he's an emotional guy and he had quite the emotional attachment when it came to the URI program, but he knew when he took this job, he knew what the peak in the ceiling was and he's already reached that ceiling and he's going to continue to raise it here. If he keeps getting the recruits that he's getting, you know, I mean, Steph Castle didn't play his first game till what, how many games in it was hurt. Yeah. Right. And the kid looks he's dynamite, dynamite, you know, he, like he is, he, he is the best pro prospect that I've seen in person this year. Um, you know, the other night, he he had the entire toolbox on display, 20 points, seven for 14 from the field, but it was his length at the defensive end that stood out to me. Um, he made Devin Carter look small, which yeah. a lot of teams haven't been able to do. Carter plays way above his size. He rebounds way above his size at, at, at an alleged 6-3. Um, and Castle's length, whether it was guarding Carter – in the passing lanes, um, you know, contesting shooters on the perimeter. It's a major problem at 6'6". He's just got extra, you know, with arms that are going to measure longer than that at the combine whenever he gets there. Um, yeah. And you saw the difference between first-round pick and, you know, college players having a great season and playing himself into the draft. Um, yep. Yeah, because I do think that, that Carter will play in the NBA and, and will have multiple years there and have himself a very successful pro career. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Castle is the type of guy who could go in the lottery if if it breaks right for him, if he's not injured, if he performs and develops uh, as expected. And you get to the difference between Providence and UConn this year. And last year, Providence has two starters in that game. This year, they have one, and it's Carter. UConn's got the other four. Um, yeah. You know, and they might have a couple guys off the bench too, before Providence has someone out there, and and that's the difficult part of losing Bryce Hopkins. It it gets exposed in games like that, yeah. Where you're playing against truly elite talent, uh, you know, a truly connected five man unit out there. You really miss your superstar in in a game like that, um, you know, because Providence just does not have a reasonable equivalent to come off the bench or just plug in and, and replace Bryce. It, it's not that simple. Um, in that game, you you will say, and, and Dan Hurley said it after, uh, you know, loves the way that Providence competed, um, loves the defensive energy that, that Kim and his staff have, have fostered there. Um, 
you know, Providence is in the game deep into the second half. Foul shooting both ways was atrocious and, and kept the door open for yes. both teams. Um, you know, and Aduro in his 23 minutes had 20 points, was plus 11. Mm. Uh, clearly won his matchup with with Klingon, as limited as it was. Um, you know, the unfortunate thing was, was Providence just ran out of time and shot itself in the foot too often at the foul line. Um, you need to be more mistake-free to win a game like that on the road against number one. And, you know, Providence didn't play an A. Uh, and, and wasn't able to take advantage on a night where UConn probably played a C, C plus. Yeah, right. You had to play an A plus. Yeah, you had to play an A plus. Um, and again, the 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 foul count didn't help. Um, no. that that's for sure. But you know, as Kim said after the game, and he's right, it's free throw line, defensive rebounding. You know, yeah, it, those two things points right to it. And he's right. You know, you look at the box score, you're like, yep. He's right. You know, you look at the way the game played out. Yep. He's right. You know, and I think uh, Kim Kim doesn't make excuses. Nope. You know, and he'll point right to it. Um, and I'm sure that's something they're going to be working on a lot here with a big one coming up on Sunday. Uh, this, this is now that we're talking about February. Fascinating. Brackets. Fascinating. Huge. The Nova game is huge. In terms of tournament chances, and you, you got to you get that one on the road, you know, you're really helping yourself. Even with the way that Nova's trending, you know, you 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 should go on the road and and give yourself a chance to take that one. You could just about bury them with a win here. Uh Villanova's yeah. lost five in a row. It's the first time in thirteen years they've lost five games in a row. Yikes. You think Kyle Neptune's on the hop seat right now? Yikes. You, you, you think he wants to sit down on the bench at this point? His his backside would be a little toasty warm, I would think. Uh, they are not happy on the main line. You you get the sense the other night they were getting booed in the first half play of Marquette down twenty at home. Um, came all the way back to take the lead in the second half, and then Tyler Kolick reminded everyone that he's that dude uh, in that game. Oh, he he's just points, nine he's assists. Beautiful, he's beautiful. That I mean, kid. Really. Did you hear his post game interview with Raph? I did. Oh my God, that was great. He's like, you really, Raph's like, you really like going on the road and playing in games like this. He's like, yeah, I love when fans chant that I can't read. Like, yeah, that's the best. <laughs> yeah, he he had a two game span there where he, he wasn't very good at all. Um, yeah. You know, I think he had 14 points in two games. His last five, he's 18 and nine and a half assists. He's averaging. That's, that's pretty good. That'll get it done. Uh, and no coincidence that Marquette has righted the ship here and won five in a row. Uh, yeah. 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 You got UConn leading the league. You've got Creighton and Marquette both at seven and three, exactly what you would have expected. Um, Seton Hall is a surprise at seven and four. Uh, and then the middle is just a jumbled mess um, between teams not named Georgetown and DePaul. The rest are all five and five or four and six, which is Villanova. Um so for Providence, everything to play for here as we go into the second half, can you go six and four the rest of the way? And and none of those four can be DePaul at home or Georgetown on the road. If you do that, you go to Madison Square Garden and win one game, I don't see any way Providence's name isn't called on Selection Sunday. Amen. 
Amen. Take care of the games that you need to take care of. As you said, DePaul, Georgetown, that's left in the schedule. You know, uh, you, you take care of those two. And then I think this, this Nova game is huge. You know, Creighton, St. John's are difficult ones at home. Obviously, you end with UConn at home, Vicky schedule, just like, man. Um, you know, but you got two against Nova. You have to go to Marquette and Xavier. Those are tough places to play. Have to go to Hankel. Um, but you're right. If you can get, you know, you, you if you get DePaul and Georgetown, what can you get coming up here? I think this Villanova game on the road where this where they're trending right now, as you said, you can bury them, but also it can be a a huge road swing in terms of trying to earn victories here down the stretch. So yeah. interesting, interesting to see how they how they do here in February. But um, you know, it's there. And and that again, that is such a credit to the staff. And and I think I think Danny said as much. Um, you know, like any coach, yeah, he did. He said actually before the game, I was listening to his pregame availability. He said, you know, some places, some coaches, some programs, guy like Hopkins goes down things go downward and you're never able to recover. I think Kim and his staff have really been steady with their guys and tried to figure this thing out. Helps to have a guy like Carter who's taken it to another level, obviously. Um, but really they have stayed steady and they haven't panicked and they put themselves in position to try to make the tournament after losing their best player in January. They're able to do that. That's a heck of a story for this season. I think his messaging has been good. I, I think he's yeah. been consistent in that way. He's, you know, constantly, Kim has said, no, we're, we're not going to talk about who's not here or we're not going to talk about officiating or like. We the night that. that he got hurt, he said that basically. Yeah. yeah. When they lost the game to Seton Hall at home, he said, look, we, we had enough to win. We're not going to talk about the guys who, who didn't play. Yeah. Um, you know, in that respect, I, I think he's, he's more of he's more evolved at this point in his career than Dan Hurley was when he lost DC Matthews uh because the rest of that season 10 minutes in against American DC Matthews tears of the ACL in his right knee and the rest of that year Dan Hurley was unbearable he was brutal to be around he was miserable uh, I mean you know he knew that the season ended the first night uh but he played into it like, you know, the guys we don't have and whatever else. Yeah. I doubt you'd see him do that now. Yeah. I think he's grown in that way as a coach. Um, you know, and he, I think, in acknowledging Kim the other night, probably acknowledged a fault of his own coaching that season. Did anybody ask him about that in post game? Didn't really have the chance, uh, because okay. it was the game was two and a half hours. Of stuff. Yeah, by the yeah, time yeah. he got in the media room, it was twelve fifteen and yeah. You know, everyone's looking to try to file your story and make your late edition or, you know, get on at least your your digital entity's website at some point, um, you know, and get out of there because it was a long night. Um, but in a private moment, like, you know, if you had him in an NCAA tournament press conference or Big East tournament press conference, a little bigger venue where you know you're going to get him for a half hour and he could be a little more expansive, maybe you could ask that. It's, it's I, a good question. Maybe we'll see where Providence is at on March 9th. Yeah. Uh, when they come here, but that could be a that could be a question here for the future because I'd be fascinated to hear his answer. 
because of that, I, I, I agree with you. I, I think Danny is such an emotional guy. I think that was a good learning experience for him as a coach. Yeah. Um, Agreed. You know, and they lost DC game one. Game one against American. They they wound up going 17 and 15 overall, nine and nine in the league, um, which basically told you here's the new floor for URI basketball. So long as this guy is coaching, they're yeah. never going to be worse than 500 overall, 500 in the league, even if you have a disaster on opening night. And I think a, a big part of why he was, you know, so crestfallen the rest of the year is to your point, he had a very close personal relationship with EC Matthews for sure. And yeah. You know, EC and Hassan, those guys who were the uh, sort of original stakeholders in that program, it, it was almost like they bought in at the IPO and and then cashed out later on when they go to two NCAA tournaments. Like, those were the guys who committed to him before they had anything. So he, yep. he felt that injury a, a certain type of way, uh, I'm sure. And, you know, it was written all over his face the rest of the season. Uh, we still have that image when they lost to Duke in his last game coaching URI. Oh, yeah. Ian and I were in the tunnel, and we got it on camera. Danny's in tears. EC's got a towel over his face. He's in tears. Yeah. And they went on, They walked arm in arm down the tunnel together and back to the locker room. That tells you everything you need to know about the relationship there. Um, so, you know, again, I think for Providence in a scenario with a major injury like this, having a guy like Carter has really obviously helped them, you know, because you have a a pro prospect still on this roster. And not to say URI didn't have great players too, because you still had Haas and still had Jared Terrell, you know, great players for that program. Um, you know, but you know, this is a guy we're talking about potentially first round of the NBA draft here. He's playing that high a level right now. Um, so you know, interesting. That just, it was the first, I said to you, it was the first, one of the first thoughts I had was, oh boy, you know, this reminds me of, you know, the night with EC, you know, and, you know, the great part of that story was, and, and something to, you know, be hopeful with, with, with Bryce when he comes back is he got to sort of finish the story. You know, EC came back, they made two NCAA tournaments. Um, they put a bow on a great era for roadie basketball and, you know, Bryce will have that chance here, you know, next season with with Providence. And he'll be back in Providence shortly. He started his rehab from knee surgery uh, in his native Chicago. We we expect to see him on campus at some point this month. And uh, it'll be great to check in with him and, and see how he's doing um, for yeah. sure. For, for now, Providence plays at Villanova. That's 6 o'clock on Sunday on FS1. Uh, special evening tip. Um, and as we said, that will be a fascinating game. Uh, Saturday also brought us quite a, a showdown in Smithfield. Uh, Bryant hosting Vermont at the top of America East. The Catamounts showing the Bulldogs why they have held that spot over multiple years, 67-57 final. Um, they stifled Bryant like few teams have this season. And, you know, Bryant got it going on Thursday night, beating UMBC, a, a game that was a polar opposite uh, 99-95, two teams that love to get up and down. Um, you know, and Bryant ultimately made more shots than than UMBC did. It made a couple big ones at the end. Raphael Pinzone made a, a clutch three with about a minute and a half left that, you know, really pushed the Bulldogs toward the finish. Um, but it was it was a lesson in tempo, Bryant's last two games. It was a lesson in styles, in game control. 
who can impose their style on the other. Uh, ultimately, Vermont w- was better in that way. And, you know, Vermont pretty much showing why they are the annual favorite in that league under John Becker. You you win against UMass Lowell. You win against Bryant in the same weekend. I mean, just brutal to do. And, and the Catamounts are able to get it done. And, you know, currently leading that league. It was... It was a good measuring stick, Coit. Uh, I think for Bryant, gave him a chance to evaluate where they are and and where they need to get better. And you know, it's good to bounce back with a win on Thursday. They've they've got a tough trip to Maine on Saturday. Uh, Maine's playing reasonably well, and you know, it's a long ride on the bus. It, it's not you know anyone's favorite in America East, I'm sure. Um, but I look at at Bryant, and I think the last week internally, they've they've had some great chances to learn something about themselves. Yeah, amen. Um, and I still think that they are. I mean, the 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 thing about Vermont is it's just one of those programs where they've learned how to win as part of that culture, and upperclassmen get their chance to do it, and they pass it on to the guys that come into the program, and they continue to pass it on. It's it's an intangible thing, but they just make plays, know how to win. It's just what Vermont basketball is in this conference right now. Um, they just continue to do it. It's like I, I think of in the Ivy League, I think of a, you know a program like Yale. They just continue to, and Princeton. I mean, Princeton's a great example this year. And we kind of looked at it and said, oh, you know, how's Princeton going to be losing some of the guys that they did? And look at them, 15-2 and two, coming in to face Brown this weekend. Tall task. Like, they're really good. Mm. You know, so Henderson's got them playing. He's a, he's a good coach. And James Jones is a heck of a coach. And, and, you know, Becker has this thing going. Um, So until you can knock them off, they're going to continue to get wins like that. Um, You know, so for Bryant, you're right. It's a good learning experience. Um, I think they, they, they know what they've got in terms of, you know, the guys in their roster and, um, you know, they're battling through here and, Interesting that they can play in those different styles and and compete. Um, you know, I actually literally wrote in the script last night for the UMBC highlight. They outscored UMBC to win ninety nine ninety five. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, that's what happened basically. Won much defense. That's why my question to Phil afterwards was, "This is probably great for you as a coach because you're like, yay, we won the game, but also it's doubly good because hey, look at all this tape of there being." Not much defense. <laughs> we can improve in a lot of different places. You know, in a game like that, I get it. Like he said it, like styles, tempo, transition, you know, defense can be tough, especially pushing the pace. Um, you know, and they got the key stops when they needed to, which is huge. Um, but yeah, a lot of things you can improve on there. Um, you know, and this this second part of the weekend. Driving up to Orono, playing in the pit against Maine. Um, interesting to see how they do uh, because Maine hasn't, they're two and five in America East so far. So kind of hit a wall a little bit here. Uh, but it's a game last year that, you know, going to Maine was a, was a problem last year for the Bulldogs. You know, they lose up there. And, can they, you know, I think that team was struggling with some of the things that this team has figured out, which is the role definition um, and the rotation. So, you know, second part of the weekend here, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see how, how Bryant performs. 
I mean, they they won at South Florida. They won at BU. They clipped Albany at home. Like those are three decent results if you may. Um, you know, South Florida is in the top 125 for Ken Pop. Um, you know, so decent win for sure. Um, you know, and I I, I look at, at Bryant and and I just think, you know, it's hard to win that many games and stay on top of the league. There, there's got to be a stumble point, right? You're not just going to lose to Vermont and UMass Lowell. You're going to chunk one away, aren't you? You know, if you're not, then you're really good. You're you're better than, you know, maybe even we thought. Um, you know, because that that's the type of thing that, you know, there's always one weird result in there. Like you lose at Maine or like, you know, you lose to Albany at home or like you lose at Binghamton and you think, gee, that was an off night. Like it, it's hard to be that consistent over a period of two months. If, if Brian's able to do that, then yes, they can maintain a title challenge at the top of this league. This is an interesting, uh, we were talking about this off pod before starting this recording, but it's, this is an interesting spot, you know, because if they go up there and it's a, a tough day, you know, you may be able to look at some of the factors and, and understand it. You know, it's the second part of the weekend, long bus trip after a fast paced game against UMBC. Um, you know, you could, you could understand the spot. Um, but I think this team has really shown the ability to, um, you know, perform fairly consistently at, at a high level, particularly on the offensive end. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how it goes. Um, you know, Earl Timberlake goes in with, you know, he, he tweaked his ankle in the game against UMBC. That's tough. It sounds like he's, he's fine. He's going to play, but when it's the first part of a weekend, you're playing 48 hours later. Um, that's tough. You know, a lot of ice. A lot of, lot of treatment, I'm sure. So, you know, we'll see. But this, I, I like the way this team, you know, ha, has played together. There's been a lot of connectivity, you know, of the, of the teams in the state. Bryant has been one of the most connected, I think. Um, yeah. You know, you've seen it at times this season. And so, you know, this is an interesting spot for a team like this that I think has shown the ability to, you know, really grind through some, some parts of the season. I want to know what UMBC did to Sharif Gross Bullock. Like in a, in a, in a <laughs> recent years or in a past life or something. Like what what do they do to this guy? So it's what, 35 last night, 41 the first game, and then what was the previous game? 39 last season. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I think Phil said it perfectly. There are times where you step on a field. doesn't matter what sport, what level. Whatever. Yeah. As an athlete, at times, you step on a field, you're facing a certain team, you see a certain jersey, you're facing a certain player. Like, I I don't want to bring in the Nick Coit was an athlete once. Don't, don't name names, but I was going to ask you, did you have a pitcher who you looked at oh, yeah. like, oh, I got this guy? Oh, yeah. I have, a, I have a good friend that I grew up with. I won't say a name. No. But I, I used to love facing him yeah. because he put it on the outer half of the plate for my right-handed bat. And every time I'd step up there, I'm like, he's going to put it right in my freaking wheelhouse. Just wait for the fastball and you're all good. Let him throw the breaker. Let him throw a couple of junk pitches. When the fastball comes, you swing at it and you put it in the gap. It's just a thing. It's just, you, you have that thought in your head. 
And this is amateur 14-year-old Babe Ruth baseball player thinking that. Now we're talking about it, an elite Division One college athlete. Like, that. that is, I think that's a real thing. It's part of the men- mental part of sports, I think, sometimes. Uh, it's... It, it is. It's one of those things like, you you, you know, 14-year-old baseball, college basketball, Enrique Wilson against Pedro Martinez. Like, you, you go to that, you get a guy who had totally. a career 638 OPS against Pedro, and Enrique Wilson was God against him. Like, like couldn't make it out against Pedro yep. Martinez for whatever reason. Just hit off him. And you're thinking, geez, you know, what's going on here? How? Why? One of those intangible things that you can't really explain. And I'm sure someone will be in my DMs when I put this out saying, well, if you let the sample size normalize, then, you know, eventually Pedro would get Enrique Wilson. I, I don't want to hear that. We're not doing that today. Sample right. size? Yeah, we're not doing that anymore. What is this, calculus? Well, no, the Lions would be playing in the Super Bowl if if they had actually ignored the numbers and read situations. But we that's, again... A whole separate podcast. Mm, Won't get into that either. Mm. Um, (laughs) Mm. Yikes! I'm there's a tangent here. I'm not going to go on it. I'm going to (laughs) move on. Don't do it. I'm going to move on to URI. Um, I'm going to move on to the Rams, who snapped a losing streak the other night against the Sal. URI dropped four in a row. Uh, They hang on against the Explorers at home, seventy-one sixty-nine. And Coit, I think this is noteworthy for a couple reasons. Uh, first, the ability to get off the mat, obviously, for this season. Um, this has been a streaky team throughout. They've they've won several in a row. They've lost several in a row. Maybe this is the start of the next uptick. We'll see. Uh, but secondly, 10th win of the season for URI. That exceeds their total from 2022-23. And yep. you can look at their results thus far, and you could say, well, there are games that they should have won or games that they should have lost, or you know, maybe they should be further along in year two, considering mo- modern college basketball and how you can build a roster and whatever else. For me, what I wanted to see from this team was incremental improvement going through year two uh, and really put some serious expectations on them in year three. That's traditionally when you make a jump. Uh, right now, they've set themselves up with 10 wins, with four conference wins, they only had five of those last season. You've got at least 11 games left, 10 in the league, and then one guaranteed at the conference tournament. You or I can make some real, tangible, on-paper progress here uh, if they play well over the last 10 games of the season and then in Brooklyn. And I take that 35,000-foot view as a really encouraging sign in Kingston. Absolutely. And and this is... I, 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 it's year two, but really with this group, 11 new players coming in this year, it's, it's year one with this particular group. And so that's, I think why you're seeing some of the streakiness. Um, but that's a, that's a game at home the other night that you had to have it, had to go get it. And, and they did, they bared down. Um, I think you got a few different contributions from a few different places. Um, I think guys made some key plays. I think David Green, you know, asserted himself at points in the second half. Um, I think Louis Courtright has really maybe even quietly become uh, another leader for this team. I think he just makes plays at certain times where you're like, that's a lead by example kind of thing. Um, you know, Archie and his staff were talking about 
you know, trying and, and the players were trying to create more offense via their defense, you know, yeah. because I think as much as they've struggled with turnovers themselves, they haven't turned the other team over and turned it the other way. There's a couple plays the other night they did that, you know, so that's tangible progress. Um, and then there's just certain guys, I think they've continued to sort of mess with rotations and feel. I think Archie really is, especially with like closing lineups, I think it's it's very much a feel thing. Like this guy had it, or this guy has it tonight, this guy doesn't. Like I I I I want to say it was David Fuchs who was a guy that, you know, the other night, you know, he he will make some key plays for you in certain games. And I think the staff really likes him and what he adds. I don't think he finished the game the other night and it was Archie was basically like, well, just didn't feel like he had it. You know, I felt like somebody yeah. else could help us there in the closing minutes. And a guy like Tyson Brown steps forward and helps you in those closing minutes. So it's very much a feel thing. And I think well, he that's had, he had Brandon Weston out there too in the closing minutes. And Weston too. I, I exactly. Think, I think instead of Jaden House. Yeah, he did. He did. And that was yeah. very much, I think, a feel thing. Nothing personal. It's just I feel like this guy's giving us what we need tonight. We're gonna go with these guys. Um, so you know, I I think the staff and and the coach is is getting a feel for you know, his team as things go on here too. But, um, you know, you're seeing it from certain guys, certain flashes. Um, but for them to be able to close that out the other night, uh, that was something they really, really needed. And they've got another home game coming up here with Duquesne. And if they can get that win, then all of a sudden you're back over 500 in the Atlantic 10. Feel good about yourself again. A couple of wins. Um, progress is what you wanted to see this year. And at times you've seen it from certain places and, and certain players. And, and that's a good thing. You mentioned the turnovers. They, they only forced two at George Mason in a loss last weekend. And that number reads like a misprint, two turnovers. Really? You know, they, they didn't, they didn't throw the ball out of bounds two or three times. They didn't. Right. Exactly. Didn't double dribble. Uh, you know, didn't step on the sideline, like only two. The, yeah. the last thing you want to be, if you're a basketball team, and and Archie has alluded to this in in his post game pressers. Last thing you want to be is easy to play against. Mm -hmm. And and if you're only committing two turnovers in a game, that's an easy night. That's fun to play. Yeah. Don't ever want the other team walking the locker room and saying, "Hey, I had a great time tonight. That was fun. Wasn't that fun? Yeah. You know, wasn't it easy <laughs> to go out there? That, you know, like you want them going to the locker room thinking, man." I had a tough night tonight. I, I better get in the gym tomorrow and get some shots up and and you know work on some things because man, I had a tough one tonight. Those guys were those guys are brutal. We're playing. Or you just you you want another team to look at that team on the schedule and say, Oh God, we got Oh no, them. Jeez, great. Right. We right. never win there. Like, oh no. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 you know, LaSalle only turned it over eight times, but it just Four times felt, as many. <laughs> I, that's what I was going to say. It just, nope, it just silver felt, it felt better. You know, like Rody got 11 fast break points. And I'm just thinking in my head, when did that happen? I mean, I was there for probably last eight minutes of the first half and then 12 minutes into the second half. Yeah. And I saw those plays a couple of times. Fast break. Jaden House had a nice layup in one of them where Louie got a piece of the shot and sent a great pass ahead. Yeah. And I'm looking at that, and I'm saying, like, that's the kind of play that they're looking for right. a little bit more. And they've got talented offensive guys that can cash in like that. 
So the more you see that, the more it's going to help you and the more that other teams are going to say like, oh boy, we need to take care of the basketball against these guys. Yeah, their field goal defense was good. LaSalle was under 50% from two and they were eight for 31 from three. Um, you know, so good job by URI in the half court in that way. Uh, they get a shot at Duquesne on Saturday. That's a 1230 tip uh, in Kingston. I will be there for that one. It will be the first half. Same. Of my, it'll be the first half of my Saturday doubleheader. Um, Saturday night and Friday night, for that matter, I will spend on the east side uh, watching the Brown men. Same. Too. Yeah. You following me or am I following you? <laughs> uh, with Brown, you're following me because I true. I have a job to do there. Yes you, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Um, and Brown has a big job on its hands this weekend, uh, hosting Penn and hosting Princeton and Coit. I don't think it's too soon to say this, uh, but we are entering must-win time here for Brown. Um, they are 1-3 and three in the Ivy League. A loss at Dartmouth is one that really stings. Uh, the Big Green, pretty much consensus, supposed to be the worst team in the league. Um, that's a team that you're supposed to sweep if you are going to maintain hopes for a top-four finish. They did not do that. And so now you need to steal a win from somewhere else. And you know, Penn obviously coming in here, that's a team that was picked to play somewhere around you. Princeton, who was in the Sweet 16 last year, that's going to be a very difficult challenge. Um, but I don't think it's too soon to say, Coy, that Brown needs these two. They need to yeah, they start do. being desperate. They need to start producing results here if they're going to play at Columbia in March. Uh, you know, if they happen to lose both games this weekend, let's say, you're sitting at one and five. You're you're just about out of time. Yeah, totally, totally. Particularly, you got to go get the first one. Go get the first one, and then see what you can do on Saturday. Because um, the first one, I think, is gettable. Um, this is a Penn team that has been dealing with. You know, obviously, you lose a guy like Dingle, who was, you know, one of the best players, if not the best player in the league last year. Um, you know, he goes to St. John's. And last year when they came in here, Clark Slacker went for 31. I mean, yeah. it's still in my mind that that kid went off at the Pizzatola Center. Yeah, He's out. He's got an ankle injury. So he's not out there for Penn. So you're talking about two guys that really beat you up last year not being on the floor. They're going to come in here. They're 1-3 they're in the Ivy, too. This is a crucial game. You got to go out and get it. Got to go out and get it. And you want to see this Brown team have a response to what was a, you know, disappointing result at Dartmouth. You know, this is a game you got to come out. You got to come out with an urgency. And so this is, yeah, this is a huge one. Go get the first one. See what you can do against Princeton. Because um, Princeton's obviously rolling and they've been rolling through the season so far. So, um, but this cru this is crucial. Friday night and all week to, to prepare for it. You got to get this one. Yeah, Penn is coming in on a three-game losing streak. They've lost at Cornell, Harvard at home, at Columbia, which is another team who traditionally is yeah. toward the bottom of the league. Um, another team that that Brown, you figured if they were going to play in the top four, must sweep. Um, and Columbia will end what is now a three-game homestand for Brown. Penn, Princeton, Columbia next weekend. Then they go on the road for four straight. So you need to put these in the bank at, yep. at this point. You've Got to finish these three in a row at home. 
You can get yourself back to four and three. And at that point, there's a path to playing at Ivy Madness. For some reason, you beat Penn, you lose to Princeton. Okay. You're sort of right back where you started. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you haven't necessarily advanced your cause this weekend. You haven't necessarily hurt it either. Uh, if you lose both, you're in trouble. And and certainly, oh, yeah. certainly you don't want to drop the first one against the Quakers and put yourself in a position where you need to beat Princeton on the second night. Uh, because as you mentioned, Coit, Princeton currently in the top 65 in Ken Palm, 15 and two. Their only losses are at St. Joe's in the Big Five. And at Cornell, they actually got waxed last weekend, which was a bit of a surprise, 83-68. But if you look at what Princeton has done so far this year, they've beaten Rutgers. Uh, they've beaten Drexel, who's rolling along in the CAA. Um, you know, they've beaten Delaware, which is a really good non-conference win. They beat Harvard by 31 to open the Ivy League schedule. Oh, my goodness. Um, offensively, they're elite. Um, you know, Mitch Henderson's a really good coach there at his alma mater. And, you know, you, you mentioned it when all of a sudden you expect to win a certain way, you have it, you have it culturally a certain way, like Vermont does. And, and in the Ivy league, it's Yale right now on the men's side, they're the gold standard in that way. Um, it becomes very difficult to win against teams like that. They, they just, you get to the last two minutes and it's a two point game and they sort of look at each other and it's like, okay, here we go. We've been here. We've before. done it. Yeah. Yeah. Here, here comes here comes the offensive play that we're going to execute to perfection. Here's the defensive possession where we force a contested shot. We block out. We get the rebound. Like it's just going to happen. It's it's non-negotiable. Like it's not even discussed. They're just going to make it happen. Um, you know, the teams are so buttoned up. They're so detail oriented. It's hard to crack. And that's where yeah. Princeton is at right now, coming off that Sweet Sixteen run. Um, you know, so that will be yeah, this weekend as a whole a great challenge for Brown. But certainly that second night, you're going to see a really good team come in here. Yeah, amen, amen. But you got to worry about the first one first. Yeah, have to. Yeah. That is a it's a gettable game. It's a swing game. It's ironic that yeah, you're right. It's you know Brown coming in off a disappointing loss to Dartmouth, and Penn coming in off a disappointing loss with Columbia. Like that's. Two teams that are sort of in a similar, hey, we need to get off the mat here and we need to get a win. Um, you know, Brown having it in their home gym is obviously a, a nice thing and you got to take advantage of it. Flip side for Brown, the women, um, not desperation here, but a chance to get greedy this weekend on the road. Uh, the Brown women playing at Penn and at Princeton. Um, and Bears really could put some more separation between the top four and the bottom four in the Ivy League, uh, Princeton five and zero, Brown, Columbia, Harvard four and one, currently. Brown's only loss at home against Harvard, uh, a measuring stick type game that uh, Brown ultimately couldn't pull out. But you're looking at Penn at two and three, and if Brown is able to at least get a split against Penn, um, you're putting yourself in even better position uh, with respect to to breaking through. Finishing in the top four, the Bears right now approaching the midpoint in their season in the driver's seat in the Ivy League with with respect to playing at Columbia in March. Uh, their most recent game, let's not talk much about it because it was an eyesore against Dartmouth, <laughs> a, a game that neither team got out of the 30s. Uh, you know, but as I tweeted after the game, 
when you win, I don't really care how it looks. It says W in the column. And and that's what mm-hmm. it said for the Brown women. 35-31, Coy. Am I correct? It was was a 39-31. Hang on. Hang on, Ma. Hang on. It was. If you were there and you blocked that one out of your memory, I, I give you credit because 35-31. You got it. Woof. Man. Yep. Man. Tough one. But hey, like I said, it's a win. You win. You win those games. You don't care if it's 35-31. You don't care if it's 95-91. You say, yep. nope, we won. We swept Dartmouth. Thank you very much. Well, and the bigger point here is that, okay, so you, you found the 35 points to get you the victory, but you held another team to 31. And yep. Brown scoring defense is it's second in the league. They allow just, just over 56 points per game, right? which is a credit to the buy-in that you have from the players. Because you're going to find offense. You have the the second leading scorer in the league in Kyla Jones. You'll find offense from other, you know, places. Bella Mauricio, Grace Arnold, Melissa Moreland. Like, you'll you'll find it. But if your defense is going to hold like that, you're going to give yourself a chance to win. Even on nights where you don't have it going offensively like that. So, this is, it's it's impressive, the, the collective buy-in that they have on that end of the floor. Um, it, it's, it's a credit to, you know, the coaching staff, you know, I think Monique has done and and her staff have done a a fantastic job here and they've really, they've put themselves in position early in Ivy league play. When you jump out to this, to a four and one start, then you get to February and you're not looking at it and saying, well, we got to get this, we got to get that. You're looking at it and saying, all right, if we get this, if we get that, this puts us here, this puts us there, you know? Let's take care of business here going forward, you know, and we'll have a chance to be playing in Ivy Madness, and that's that's huge. Uh, Monique's the coach of the year in the league for me right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. Brown is, is picked sixth in this league. Uh, they beat Georgetown and Providence, non-conference. Two Big East wins, Georgetown on the road, uh, a game that was in the 40s, to your point. Yep, another one. Um, Monique, preseason. I remember her saying in, in uh, Ivy League Media Day, which was virtual, she said the top four teams in defense last year made Ivy Madness. But if we want to make it to Ivy Madness, we need to be one of the top four defensive teams in the league. And as you said, right now they're second in scoring defense. Mm-hmm. Um, if that continues over the next nine games, you'd place your bets that they're going to get there uh, because they have enough offensively. They, they've got enough. Between Kyla Jones and Grace Arnley and Bella Mauricio, they've got enough on a given night. They're going to score enough, I, I think. Yep. Um, all three of those players won't play bad at the same time, I don't think. One of them will carry at some point. Amen. Most likely two of them will carry uh, on a given yep. night. And then you'll get enough from you know the rest of the roster to sort of chip in and say, okay, you know, we'll get over the finish line here. Um but just a, a golden opportunity for Brown here to be greedy this weekend, uh, you know, particularly at Penn, first game, uh, you know, just like the men. You steal that first game at Penn, you go to 5-1, and one, all right, you lose to Princeton. Or, or you're really competitive in, against Princeton, and you build some confidence in that one. Uh, it's your second real chance to step up in class, like when you played Harvard at home. Um, even if you come back losing that game, you're one and one. You're still five and two in the league. You've held serve. You go five and two again, you're going to go to Ivy Madness. There, there's no way you won't get Absolutely. there. Ten wins. Um, you know, so fascinating weekend for the Brown women.
uh, you know, and a result Friday night that you're certainly going to keep an eye on here against Penn. Um, you know, quite you, you've been onto this for a few weeks now. You, you felt like we're going to be watching them play at Columbia here in Ivy Madness. That's just the way they play. It's, it's the, the consistent buy-in and particularly defensively, they dig in, they did it against Rhodey. They did it against Providence, even in a game that they lost. They did it against Rhodey. They kept that game close because of the way they were playing defense. They frustrated the Rams. They frustrated Providence. They, they, as we said with Georgetown, another low-scoring game. Like they've just done this all season, and that's why we. I think early on we looked at it with Ivy playing. We're like, man, if they can get some of these wins, they're really going to put themselves in, in position here to play in the postseason. That's that's huge. Yeah, really important. So Brown, worth tracking this weekend. Uh, another team that's on a good run all of a sudden now, the URI women, Coit, they've won three straight. They have Anel Dutot back in the lineup. I don't think that's a coincidence whatsoever. Nope, nope. Uh, their most recent Wednesday at George Washington, 66-52. Uh, game they dominated the third quarter, twenty-four to nine, and really spread this one out. Uh, Coit, you're looking at the box score for this one. The balance on display here. Uh, the defense on display here. Um, two things that that could benefit you or I going forward. As we've said, you know, at large, they're not going to make the NCAA tournament uh, unless they get a lot of help elsewhere. They're probably not going to win the A10 regular season title. Um, those were two major goals coming into the year. What they're doing right now, though, is building momentum potentially for the A-10 tournament. And this URI team at its maximum, no team will want to see when they go to Enrico in, in March. Uh, this was the preseason favorite in the league, heavy preseason favorite in the league, significant talent across the roster. And if they perform to their capabilities – there's no reason not to think that they can't beat every single other team in this field. Absolutely. When they're rolling, they're tough to stop. We've seen it. We have seen how good they can be as a whole this season. We've also seen the flip side with this team. So that's why I think their record reflects that. But you're right, Bill. You build momentum here. Uh, getting Dutat back was huge. You can see how crucial she is, particularly for the defensive end. Um, and you're right. I think collectively on the offensive end, they're going to find baskets. They're going to find, and I think it's it's sort of spreading out, evening out. Um, you know, Sophie Phillips was a leading scorer the other night for the team. She had 12 points. You know, she she hit four threes. Like, that's what she does well. You know, Didi and Tisha, both at 11. Like that, that to me says, all right, they're spreading things out. If you look at the shot totals, too, there's nobody that's totally over the top in terms of their, you know, attempts. I think Tisha Hyman had the most and it was 12. It's all spread out, though. You know, it's not, that is not excessive. That's not over the top. That's not hogging all the shot attempts, that sort of thing. That's spreading out a little bit. And I think that's a great, sign with this team is like all right it's one of those that tells me they're going to hit the open person and or they're trying to get it to somebody that's that's rolling offensively they're having a feel for the game that sort of thing even putting in the freshman descent for nine minutes i think she had a couple of you know key baskets getting her involved i think 
we know how elite she was as a high school offensive player. If she can add a little bit of that off the bench, you know, more three point shooting, um, you know, they're finding some of that here, you know, with, with the group. And I think that's, that's huge. And if you build that toward March, you're right, Bill, who would want to see this team, you know, in, in the tournament with all the, all the weapons they potentially have. That's uh, they they play at Duquesne on Saturday. That's kind of a sticky road game. Uh, you know, Duquesne still got McConnell. She's got NBA blood. Uh, mm. you know, so you you got to be careful against her. Um, but certainly you you mentioned uh just the balance that you or I had in that game. Also, just ten turnovers for the Rams. Yep. Take care of the ball. I, I mean, that's been an issue for them. You know, going back to last season, really, and and certainly at times this year, Maya Torre plays thirty three minutes, only has one turnover. You know, she's been a high turnover player, e- even though last year she took such great strides with her game, and you know, is the most improved player in the league. And her one major sore spot was turnovers, and and ultimately, you know, if she's only going to have one turnover a game, uh, you know, the amount that she's used, the amount of possession she actually has the ball. That's a great sign for you or I going forward. Um, you mentioned Duchenne. I, I think she got the uh, you know she got the chain after the game. I think she was the the defensive ram of the game or ramped up or whatever else. Yeah. Um, the the picture on uh, their social media account. She's got a little shiner under her left eye. I think that I see that right. <laughs> yeah, right. Something like that. Yeah. I mean, so that that gives you an idea that you know the freshmen's out there sort of sticking her nose in, which, which is what you really want to see. Um, Made a couple three pointers in the game as well. Your eyes eight for sixteen from three against GW. Uh, you know if the, if they shoot the three like that and they don't turn it over, um, you know, just with their physical advantages in the paint with Dutat, with Torre, with Tenemagasa, it's a hard team to break down for sure. They're, yep. they're not really going to open the door for you in that many ways. Um, you know they're they're going to be like they they're not. We were talking about this earlier. Um, they're not fun to play against the URI women. No. I, I don't. I don't think they're a good time out there. You know, if I'm an opposing player, because there's length and quickness, and when they're at their best, a, a, a little bit of an edginess, which comes from Tammy Reeves for sure and her staff. And you're thinking, man, like you know, why? <laughs> what are they hungry? Like, why are they out? Why are they on us like this? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and at their best, you're you're just like, hey. You know they're they're they mean business. Like here, take the ball. I don't want it that much. Go ahead. Like fine. Um, and if they summon that, if they built some momentum by March and they could summon that for three or four days in in suburban Richmond, look out. That's and that's what it's gonna. Yeah, that's what it's gonna come down to is those days, um, because that's when it, that's gonna get you where you ultimately want to go. So if they can put it all together for that. As as much as a, a, a you know a work in progress as it's been to put it all together at times this year for this coaching staff that the Jekyll and Hydeness of this team, if they can build it consistently toward that A ten tournament, um, then I think Tammy and her staff will be will be thrilled because that's the ultimate goal here. Uh, we had some history for the Providence women this week, Coit. Um, do you know what it was? Ah. Uh... Is it is it a individual history it or it is okay? It's an individual honor. Well, was it the fact that Grace Afosa was the first player to win Big East Player of the Week since 2019? Very good. Grace Afosa, okay. the first 
Providence women's player to win Big East player of the year of, of the week in five years. Um, you know, and that comes off an overtime home win against Villanova. Uh, and then a road win at Xavier. The Friars, quite back over 500 in the Big East on a three-game winning streak, hosting Marquette on Saturday, a Marquette team that is receiving votes in the polls. Uh, and, Coit, I, I know you go back to the old NFL primetime days on ESPN with Chris Berman and Tom Jackson. Uh, <laughs> there was uh, one of Boomer's favorites was Wayne Fonts, the old Lions coach. And yep. Wayne Fonts always used to see him on the hot seat. Uh, you know, inevitably start the year under 500 and the Lions would make a little run and get back to nine and seven. And, and Wayne would save his job. And Chris Berman took to referring to Wayne Fonts as Rasputin uh, because, <laughs> because you couldn't kill him uh, because he'd always come back and haunt you later on. The Providence women this season, the way it's playing out, they feel a little bit like Rasputin. Just when you mm. think that, you know, the rope's going to snap and then ultimately they're going to fall away and that they're going to turn into that stereotypical rebuilder in year one under Aaron Bath. You know, they start 2-0, and they go to 2-4. and The reality in the Big East being what it is, the teams at the top are really tough. It's hard to sustain anything close to 500 in this league. And all of a sudden they win three in a row, including this home win against Villanova. Grace Foza had 29 points in that game. It's a game that Providence trailed late. Um, you know, really needed some gritty performances to prevail in that one. Um, but if you want to circle a game on the calendar and say, yep, the culture's changing, here it is. Villanova at home and overtime's a pretty good one. Absolutely. And having Grace back, that was, you know, it takes a few games, maybe a couple weeks for a player that's been injured and out to sort of get back to that level to where they want to get to. And the way that she played in that game, she was tough, she was aggressive. Um, that's a, that's a great sign for this team that, that felt she could be that player this season. And, you know, the injury cost her some time, but, um, yeah, I think that's, that's a huge development. I think more bill of, uh, Michael Corleone in Godfather three, ah, than I do Rasputin a little bit more modern, yeah. just a little bit, just when you think they're out, pull me back. <clears throat> That's kind of where I go with that. I know. Um, I was da- I was dating myself. I know. I know. Well, I, I said that um, not to bring up that darn baseball team, um, but I said that about the uh, last year's Red Sox times because they go on little stretches where you're like, all right, they're flirting with the wild card. We'll see. Just when you think they're out, they pull you back in. Uh, ultimately, that was just me trying to fill time in sportscasts over the summer and being foolish, but don't, don't, you do know, it. don't do the it. point, the point stands, the point stands. Um, and you're right. You see real progress here. Year one, uh, getting a win against a program like Villanova. That's, that's a nice feather in the cap and being over 500 in the league. That's at this point, that's huge. That's huge development. That signs of progress buy-in for Aaron Bath. The Providence, uh, as we mentioned, five big East wins last year, they won four. Big East games. Um, and actually, I think by this point in the year, they had won their last Big East game, hadn't they? Because I don't think they won in February or March last year. Great question. I can look that up. I think they were like January 28th or 29th was their last win last year. And I, because they, they ended on a, you know, eight or nine game losing streak. Um, right. You know, went out in the first round of the Big East tournament and, and that was that. 
Um, you know, the other night you, you, you look at Villanova, you say, all right, that's a nice result. Can you keep it going at Xavier? You know, Xavier a team that's struggling. You win 69-60. Olivia Olsen's got 18 and 8. Kendall Eddy comes off the bench with 15 points. Major contribution from the freshman. You know, you're on the road in a Big East road game at Cintas, and you're thinking, okay, you know, where's our scoring going to come from here? Uh, Marta Morales Romero, she only plays 11 minutes in the game, and you're thinking, who else is going to produce for us? She didn't score. Kendall Eddy says, my turn. Here we go. Yeah, you know, this is a team. Everyone's going to contribute. I'm going to play my part here tonight. Um, so Aaron, you know, we we've said it before on the pod. You know, Aaron's an, an inspirational figure. Um, you know, she is demanding in in that right sort of way that a coach is demanding of his or her players. Um, uncompromising in in the standards she wants to set and. I think Providence has, has played to it so far. Uh, now, there are games that uh, I'm sure she'd like to have back. The, the St. John's game at home, sixth to mind. Um, you know, there are a couple others that maybe they feel like they, they could have stolen uh, and didn't. But that they've made this much progress in, in just a few months, I, I, don't, I don't see how you could take it as anything but encouraging what, what's going on uh, at Alumni Hall right now. Yeah, and the loss at home with Georgetown – could have been deflating, um, but yeah. they've won three straight since then. You know, and that's that's a credit to, you know, this team just continuing to have that belief that you know, no, we can compete in this league. We got the players, we got the coaching staff, we can, we can do well, and that's why they're they are where they're at. Um, just last year, January twenty eighth at Xavier was the last win uh, of the season, and then Providence lost nine straight to end the year. Yeah. Yeah, that that stuck out of my mind. I I just yep. Yeah, I remember how much it fell off at the end of last year. And you, whenever you see something like that, you wonder, okay, where is this going? You know, not just this year, but next year and the year after. And you know, I right. think that's that's ultimately why Steve Napolillo decided to make a change. And uh, you know, here in the short term, so far at least, it, it is paying off uh, for his women's program. Um, as I said, they host Marquette on Saturday. I think that's a, let's see, 2 o'clock tip, 2 p.m. tip uh, yep. on the Big East Network, Flow Sports. I'm I'm not a Flow Sports Both. guy. Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. whatever that means. Uh, <laughs> not not my cup of tea. Sorry, Flow mm. Sports. I, I just, I prefer ESPN Plus. Um, I just do. Don't ask me why. I don't know. Dinosaur, Cable. Just made a oh, Rasputin well. reference, so obviously I'm, I'm <laughs> old and clearly. Um, quite, we'll finish with the Bryant women. Uh, you know, and it, it was like deja vu for the Bryant women on Thursday night against UMBC, team that they played at home earlier this year, lost on an offensive rebound and a putback at the Horn. Same thing happened Thursday night in Baltimore. Lost yeah. on an offensive rebound and a putback at the horn. Uh, Laura LaCambra doing the honors again, same player, 54-52 final. Uh, a tough one for Bryant. And and I would imagine Lynette Kikoski is going to have the last 30 seconds playing in her mind here uh, because offensively they had possession with a full shot clock, didn't start their action until late in said shot clock, didn't get a shot off. Uh, and then UMBC throws a lob pass, misses a shot, gets a rebound, puts it back in. 
beats the horn to win the game. Um, late game execution, it's the kind of stuff that keeps coaches up at night, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Um, and I'm sure that's going to be, you know, talked about, worked on in practice. It's something they've already worked on in practice. It's already seen, they've seen it in the game. It's just, it happens until you get to that point again and try to execute it. You know, it, it, it is what it is. You're competitive in the game. You know, your, your top players play well. Um, you know, this, this team will bounce back from it. You know, I'm sure Linan had some, a sleepless night or two, but you got to continue on. You got to move on uh, because you got another great challenge at home on Saturday with a program that I've talked about a lot on this podcast that's consistently good in this league. Um, the main Black Bears come in on Saturday, so no time to, you know, you want to bounce back from it? Go shock the world. Go go beat this team. Go give this team a game. Why not? That's the beauty of maybe this happening on the first of, you know, a two-game weekend is that you, you've got to put it behind you um, because, you know, you're, you're going to have to play again here on Saturday. So even if you did have a sleepless night or two, <laughs> you're doing that because you got some preparation as well. Much longer bus ride home when you drop a game like that, as opposed to, you know, if you win it and then you're in a great mood for five or six hours or whatever it is, you know, coming back yeah. from Baltimore. I can't imagine that was a lot of fun. I, you look at this game and, and, you know, Brian struggled for offense, of course. Uh, you know, they only scored 52 points. Mariana Planas Fortuni and Mia Mancini, Combined for 35, they combined for 12 field goals. The rest of the team has six. Um, you know, so you you probably needed a little more contribution from the rest, and and ultimately it didn't happen. It's how you end up in a in a war at the end of a game, and you know, your possession by possession down the stretch, and those are hard to win consistently. Um, you know, whether you're you're you need to be really good to try to make your living winning single possession games over and over and over again. That's, that's a hard way to make a living. Um, you know, and Bryant in their first year under Linan, similar to, to Providence with, with Aaron, um, you know, they play with a certain competitiveness. They've, they've been in games like this throughout. Um, you know, the effort is there. It's just taking that next step in growth, which is, being able to execute under pressure, making sure you do the right things and and do the little things like, you know, get a quality shot in a tough offensive possession or, you know, grab a defensive board when you really need to do it. Kamari Reynolds has done that at times, you know, did that in, in a win earlier this year, um, you know, terminated a possession with a defensive rebound. That needs to happen all the time. Can't just happen some of the time. And it's not just Kamari, obviously. It's everybody on the roster, everybody is on the floor. But um yeah, you know, that's that's the difficult part of of building a winner. It's habits over time. And you know, this will be uh something that Brian I'm sure comes back to in, in circles and says, you know, this sort of thing we need to learn from this and, and grow from it. Absolutely. Um you know, but with a coach that's got the energy like Lynn Ann, you feel like they will. You know, you feel like that that will happen more consistently. Um, which is a credit to her. And I mean, I still come back to the fact that this staff and, and Lynn Ann were able to identify 
Mia Mancini as a player yeah. that could immediately make an impact as a freshman in this league. That right off the bat, if if I'm if I'm Bill Smith and I'm making this this hire and bringing in this coach, and she immediately identifies a player like that to bring into the program who's exciting, who's young, who you're going to be able to build with. That to me is like immediately I'm like, all right, she knows what she's doing. Yeah. Don't learn. And even when you have tough games like this, tough results, you look at it and you say, eh, they'll figure it out. Right. You have that confidence because if you identify ta- talent like that's the toughest thing to do. Toughest yeah. thing to do is identify talent. And you know, Mia had another 17 in this game. Um, she's learned from she's had a couple of nights where she's looked like a freshman, you know, but she's learned from it. She continues to play well. Um, I'm just amazed because I thought she was good when we saw her in the high school ranks around here, but mm. to jump into America East play right away, right away and make an impact. Um, that continues to be one of the best stories, I think, with with this program and probably in in you know of the four women's programs around here. She she's got to be one of the best stories. Yeah, very impressive so far. No question about it. Um and so Bryant will will have a major challenge on Saturday uh against Maine, as we mentioned. That's at the chase. I think it's a two PM tip. Um you know, a lot a lot of afternoon action on Saturday. Man, we got a lot going on. Yeah, I know. Somebody's got a six o'clock deadline too, so that's already stressing oh. me out. Is that someone or <laughs> uh, his initials, Nick Coit? Yeah, that's that's him, and he's got to be at the pits by six because there's a pretty big game against Princeton going on. So we uh, we we want to wish your partner Ian Steele a happy vacation. Uh, we hope that he he tunes into this once we drop it uh, with with some sort of fruity drink in his hand on a beach in Jamaica. He, he ought to listen to the whole thing. Yeah, exactly, because he's sitting on a beach somewhere right now get off twitter ian whatever you're doing god will we'll send a <laughs> link to you directly stop posting things amen really yeah I mean, it's vacation yeah as, as i say that of course i'd be by a pool in las vegas tweeting things so what, what can i say <laughs> nothing such a hypocrite right yeah all right, folks, as always, uh, we thank you for listening to the pod. Uh, get out and enjoy the games on Saturday. And and uh, for folks who, who are going to be in Philadelphia with me on Sunday, uh, stop by and say hello. Only if you mean it. And only if it's a nice thing. <laughs> thank you all very much.